on pollution, I want to take a moment to uh, apologize for not having an episode last week, including the monthly music-only episode. I went and got my first dose of the vaccine, uh, made sure my daughter got the vaccine, I had some changes with work, a small reaction, just like, you know, if I would have gotten the flu shot, and it kind of threw my whole week into a bit of a twirl, but we're back. Um, I want to stress that, you know, getting tired or foggy headed after the vaccine is still better than getting COVID. And I can't stress that enough. So don't be selfish. Get the vaccine if you can, if you're able to, if you're well enough to just do it. It's better than killing somebody's meemaw. I also learned from this experience that I need to have a backup backup episode um, all the time so that this doesn't happen again. And again, I really do apologize. This week, I have John P. Funk, and we're going to discuss his music, his inspirations, a new release on his website, and of course, a little advice. So hang tight for that. Just go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners of Sound Pollution. My name's John P. Funk. I'm Enchanted Lands Music. And what kind of music do you make? I, I guess I would call the genre of, that, of, that, of this particular type of music, I call them soundscapes. On my website, I call it ambient world electronic. And I kind of mix those three main genres. And each one of those genres can be very diverse. I mean, when you think of world music, I mean, you know, it, it, that could be anything that includes people from, uh, uh, you know, from different parts of the world or different instruments from parts of the world. Um, ambient can, you know, can be Brian Eno. Can, I mean, and then uh, the, the electronic kind of covers, I mean, I, you know, I, I love EDM and I kind of love like old school, like 70s and 80s electronic music. So that's still, that that's something that's never left me. Even though I left Austin, Texas, you know, that electronic music is kind of still in the heart of what I do and, and what I like. What got you interested in that type of music? Uh, this, the soundscapes or the electronic music? Both, whichever. Um, it's interesting. So I'm, I'm born in 1965. So I'm, you know, I guess I'm kind of an older person for, you know, for your community of, of people you may be interviewing. Oh, no, uh, not at all. Well, well anyways, uh, I, I grew up in a family, a very diverse and eclectic music interests my dad was into jazz and into the into the bebop and coltrane and he knew dizzy gillespie and that was before i was born and my mom was a classical musician who played violin so my parents that was kind of like a, a foundation for my music and then i have three older siblings and a younger sibling and the three older siblings listen to everything that you know i mean imagine you know being born in the mid-60s and what you're hearing you know, like one, two, three, four years old. It's like, just just imagine, you know, listening to the Beatles when they were a lot, you know, like when they were in in their prime or, you know, Jimi Hendrix or The Doors oh. or, you know, uh, one of my sisters was really into into funk, you know. So, I, you know, I heard Rufus and Shaka Khan when I was like, you know, very young. And then, so I started graduating into the, in the 70s and kind of coming into my own as a child and listening to things. And I discovered, um, I guess, like, you know, watching movies and hearing soundtracks. And one of the movies I saw when I was pretty young was Logan's Run. And it had yeah. all this interesting electronic music in the soundtrack. And that kind of yeah. got me, that, that kind of got me into a phase that, that would later on kind of shape more things. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith has always been kind of one of my favorite go-to composers, you know, next to John Williams. I mean, the two of those 
together like shaped, you know, music for film. And Jerry Goldsmith was a, a pioneer in utilizing new sounds and different sounds for his uh, soundtracks. And, you know, I, mean, I remember seeing the movie Alien when I was a kid and going to the theater and seeing that and it really creeped me out. But what I liked, <laughs> what, what, what I liked about it so much was, you know, the art direction was incredible with the H.R. Giger um, designs and all that. But then the music was just so, it's just hard to explain the way that Jerry kind of in, incorporates classical themes, um, classical nuances from an orchestra and then the electronic sounds then and kind of bring you into this world and then what really was a clincher for me was uh hearing vangelis in the late 70s uh that you know and i mean when when we went to go see blade runner in 1982 that pretty much did it it was like okay electronic music is kind of like in me to stay you know it's not just the pop thing or what i hear on the radio it's like film composers are, are doing stuff with this to to make you know like a whole other just universe of sound and of music and, mm -hmm. um, and from there, it's like, a, but, you know, that's kind of like the end of, well, it's the beginning of the end of the story, you know, for me with the electronic music. Also, you know, listening to Jean-Michel Jarre, Oxygen, that came out in the late 70s, and, and another band uh, called Tangerine Dream. Oh, that, yeah. And Tangerine D Dream ended up doing a lot of soundtracks. They did Risky Business. It was really like the, 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 the interstitial music and Risky Business was amazing. Uh, the, the different textures and... Tangerine Dream used to like, you know, they used to um, record uh, sounds of the cities and sounds of the trains and airplanes and different things and use them in the background. So there, I guess they were, you know, early in, in the idea of looping and, and sampling and stuff like that. So all that stuff kind of, it, it all kind of plays into me. It's like looping and sampling and, and the drum beats, you know, I mean, I could, I could literally talk for hours just for that. So. <laughs> when did you start writing? When did you start creating it? Well, I started playing classical flute when I was 11. And then my flute got stolen when our, when our apartment got broken into. And one of the, the lessons my dad taught me about, you know, about tough love was like, well, you're going to have to buy your next instrument, you know, because if, if hoodlums are breaking into our apartments and, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I had to wait a year and then I got electric guitar. The electric guitar brings so many, I don't know, aspects to it. And, uh, one of the bands I was really into, the rock band when I was a, a kid was Rush. Like what was so interesting about that band was that they were rockers and they were kind of hardcore, but then they brought synthesizers and it was electronic stuff. And uh, a lot of people really don't know this, but I think it was like their fourth or fifth album. It's called A Farewell to Kings. They recorded that out in Wales in England, I believe. And some of it was recorded in the countryside and the guitar player, um, you know, Alex was playing classical acoustic guitar and you could hear if on the on headphones you could hear like birds and stuff in the background and one of the the songs on that album Xanadu is like a complete soundscape of like nature sounds and synthesizers and guitar and so when I started playing guitar in the in the in the mid 70s and then my brother took me to see that band on the hemispheres tour when I was 12 and it was kind of like wow these guys are you know it's like they're progressive they're hard rock they're art rock and then there's like, you know, soundscapes in their music. And so subliminally or unconsciously, I didn't know that I was kind of moving in that direction. But when I started working in the computer in the mid nineties, kind of take the a, a time warp into the future, I became a computer animator. And- um, Oh, really? One things, yeah, one of the things I had to do was I had to create my own uh, soundtracks 
for my uh, for my demo tapes. And so, you know, I'd use 3D Studio and make an animation and, and try to tell a story with it. And then I would like rip off. I mean, I, I would go to these uh, sci-fi conventions and, and buy like the soundtrack scores for all these different movies. And so I'd, you know, I would take the soundtrack score from like Vangelis or Tangerine Dream and then kind of mix it in with my demo reel. So I was editing other people's music with my animations. And then once I became a full like employee at Microsoft, you know, making uh, video games, it was kind of like I was immersed in uh, different teams of people. And on one of the projects I worked on, I was a, I was a lead animator, a lead artist. And I had to, I had to interface with a lot of the, the design team and the audio team. And they had people in-house like writing their own music you know, for the game, mm -hmm. I go in, I go into the studio and like, wow, you know, like these guys, like, you know, I'm, I'm an amateur synthesizer player, but I've been playing guitar since I was 13. And it was, it just kind of showed me that, you know, even in the, um, in the nineties, like, you know, people were producing music on their home computers, like just amateur, you know, musicians creating like really high impact, um, really meaningful, well-produced music. And so that kind of got me into like, you know, producing my own music. Uh, but then, you know, like I said, I had all that legacy from my childhood kind of carrying into, you know, I mean, I, I played guitar off and on in, in little bands and did little projects, nothing too serious. But, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to Austin, Texas, but it is just a music. It's a, oh, it's a I want music, to really bad. <laughs> it's a music crazy city. And it's like, Growing up there, you know, as a teenager and then and then coming back later on, you know, as an adult and being around all these musicians and uh, it's just hard to not do it. If if you play any instrument, it's like the bug just kind of gets you and you want to be in bands and you want to be jamming with people. And so uh, I was I was kind of like a closet electronic musician, but I played guitar and I had my effects and my delays and, and my reverbs and my choruses and all that stuff. So I was I was. I was doing kind of electronic soundscapey things on the guitar before I really kind of delved into the synthesizers. So, you know, and then plus listening to all that music. So it really kind of gave me a foundation to work with because, um, you know, it, any musician out there that plays guitar pretty much knows that you don't have to be a trained classical musician to be a musician. Right. Like you could just jump on the instrument, you know, and learn three or four chords and then you can be a songwriter. And it's, and it's a portable instrument you can carry with you, whereas a piano, you know, I mean, it's stuck in your house. So, so uh, you know, so the interesting thing was, is like I was developing a vocabulary of music with my guitar playing that would easily transfer into, you know, keyboards and into electronic stuff because I, it, I, because my mindset was already in it. If that mm -hmm. makes any sense. No, that totally makes sense. Was there um, w was there a defining moment, like an aha moment for you, where you were where you were creating and you were like, oh man, this is it. Like I can't do anything else. Yeah, that, that's a great question because uh, I I never really took the the plunge to be like a full time musician and I try to make a living at it. And it's very competitive and, yeah. and I'm, I'm kind of picky and a little bit of a perfectionist. So for me to uh, say there was an aha moment, but there are definitely moments where, like I've also been a writer and an independent filmmaker and I was developing my own sci-fi show that, you know, 18 years into it, I had to kind of drop the project. But huh. I started doing, I started writing another little mini series, you know, called Space Adventure that were these short little cartoons that were kind of aimed towards kids. 
And if I couldn't finish my full, like, you know, opus, like that I'd been working on for a long time, I was going to make these short little movies. And so on top of doing the writing and the producing and, and everything and the animation, I got to do the scores for them. Mm -hmm. and, I did, and I had sold a few scores to some little independent movies and done some, you know, like helping out some folks. And that was fun. But then when I started scoring my own short movies, and this would have been like um, 2000, I don't know, from like 2006 on, uh, 2011 is what I'm talking about is when I was working on these short movies. Mm -hmm. And that kind of got me to the point where it's like, wow, I'm, I'm really scoring like the soundtracks to these movies. And, but the, but the thing is, it's like, I want to write and direct them too. You know, it's not mm -hmm. like I just want to be the musician, but it, it came down to the wire where it's like, okay, if I was going to choose one thing and someone was going to pay me to do it on their film, you know, could it be props or visual effects or animation or, or whatever? It's like, I would probably say, no, I want to produce some music for the movie. And so that was kind of the aha moment. And then when I came to New Mexico, that's that's where the soundscapes started happening. So, but you've been doing creative stuff forever. So you just are, that's just how your brain works out the gate. Right, right. And, uh, you know, not not to go too much into, like I was watching, like I said on the email, I was watching your interview with, with one of your other interviewees. <laughs> and, and you guys were talking all about Star Trek and I was like, man, that's, you know, yeah, like, <laughs> I'm like a dork. All, like all that, all that sci-fi stuff was like kind of in my blood. And if anyone knows anything about, you know, sci-fi movies or shows or whatever, is like the music's got to be game on those oh, shows. Yeah. Because those shows are, are they're, they're creating a visual and an idea that's not of this earth, of, of some other place. Yes. And so... You, you can't drop in conventional music. I mean, they do that now, like now, you know, it, it's, it's a different world, but, you know, back in the day, like sci-fi shows had, you know, very interesting music and sounds. And, uh, you know, like that theme of Star Trek would come on when I was a kid and I'd be like glued to the TV. Like uh, that, that, was, it, that was like church in our family. It kind of feels like, you know, my mom's watching the TV with us and we're watching Star Trek. And there's nothing in that show, like the original one, that's going to cause kids to go out and, and do nutty, nutty stuff, other than like me just get, getting so inventive and saying like, I'm going to build a spaceship in my garage out of my dad's old Bell, you know, telephone equipment, which I did. I took a refrigerator box and like built yeah. a spaceship when I was about like, I don't know, three or four years old or something. And, you know. It's a rite of passage. Yeah, I guess. But um. But the sci-fi stuff, definitely, it's like the music is, you know, like you hear the theme from Star Trek and then later on, like when Star Wars comes out, it's like, wow, okay. Mm. So that, that was a real game changer because John Williams kind of like he broke the trend, like, okay, uh, other composers were trying to use synthesizers and, and more kind of modern sounding sounds. And John Williams kind of went back to like Holtz, you know, the planets and, and, and things like that, which he actually used some of those themes from other, uh, from other composers and, and brought that stuff in. And what was so amazing were like the themes that he wrote. And it's like, you, you can't mistake the Darth Vader theme, you know, like that's no. right? You just know it as soon as you hear it. And I don't think I ever stopped and thought about that, but that is true. They were using uh, different sounds in their scores that nobody had really done before but we I was so caught up in like the visual effects effects of it I never ever stopped to think about it it's so true 
the other the other thing so interesting about Star Wars was that they also invented a new way of creating the sounds for the movies. Um, I believe it's Ben Burt who was the uh, the sound designer. Okay. And like the art, like the R two D two had to be a special, you know, sound and, you know, like they, they use they use cable wires on telephone poles and they hit them with the ball pin hammer and record that as like a laser sound. Um, like no they got, shit. Yeah, they they got invented. I mean, they found stuff that was like an old ratty air conditioner in a in a motel that would just made this weird clanking sound. And I believe that George Lucas bought it and like used that for the engine of the Millennium Falcon. I mean, it's like crazy that. That's insane. I had no idea. Right. And, and I mean, the, the thing is, it's like, you know, sound, sound effects in those shows back then were like, they're revolutionary because no one had ever done that before. And so even though you're not thinking about it, you know, you, you walk out of the star and I saw it opening weekend when I was 12 years old. So I walk out of that movie and I'm going like, what just happened? Like, you know what, like what happened? It, it was like, I went to church and found religion for the first time, you know, kind of deal. And, uh, and the other thing I didn't mention was I, I guess around 2000, I, I did buy a, I, I bought a dedicated guitar synthesizer unit, a Roland. It's a G, it was a GR 33 and I had to install a special pickup on my guitar. And so I was able to do like, you know, kind of Pat Metheny stuff and, and Robert Fripp's type of stuff and kind of really go out into like an interesting, you know, world of, um, of guitar playing. And then at a certain point, it was like, okay, it kind of seemed cliche to, you know, like mix the sound. It's a prepackaged sound with the guitar sound. And then, then I started getting more into like, okay, I'm going to buy a dedicated, you know, synthesizer now and like have that and not try to do it on the guitar because... The, the guitar is a great instrument and I love having the guitar synth, but it, it, it kind of taught me, it's like, well, there's something about, you know, like learning how to play real keys and having that discipline, um, which, you know, we're, we're talking about all this, you know, music that, you know, came from the sixties the and, you know, as piano was the main instrument back then. And then the electric guitar, it's like, those, those are, those are the two main melody instruments in, in music. That, that we'd hear on the radio, you know, we'd hear guitars or we hear pianos. Yeah. And uh, and then with the invention of the synthesizer and, and all that stuff, kind of like, oh, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you ever like check out the reverb.com, but they have all these tutorials and like interviews about the, you know, Moog, the inventor of the Moog computer and the ARP 80 and. Um, no, the, I haven't, but you're not the first person to talk about it. So I should probably do that. <laughs> It's, it's just interesting to, to see the world now, like people are still really inspired by, you know, I guess you would call it the vintage equipment, you know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like I'm, you know, I'm into this like, oh, the CS80, you know, synthesizer, which was uh, the main one Vangelis used for doing his composing. But, you know, all, all these other bands, you know, like when, when the CS80 came out in the late 70s, it was like Yamaha's flagship, you know, synthesizer. And there's like a, a, a progressive um, rock band called UK, which was Alan Holdsworth and let's see, Eddie Jobson and John Wetton and Bill Bruford. And it was kind of like a mega band. It's like taking, you know, Yes and King Crimson and like, you know, putting them together with monster guitar player. Like Eddie Jobson played that synthesizer and there are tracks on that album. Uh, and then I think it came out in 78 and my brother played that album and I was, it took me to another world. And I was like, wow, you know, what is this? What are these sounds, you know? 
And so uh, when I started getting into my own, you know, music composing, I bought software that like included all these synthesizers. So I don't have to go, I didn't have to go out and buy, you know, the, the analog unit. Like I have, I have a lot of the, the sound, the samples of those synthesizers on my software that I kind of like, okay, do I want, you know, do I want a Roland sound or a Yamaha sound or a Korg sound? Do I want to make a hybrid, you know, of, of these sound effects? And that's kind of like where the Enchanted Lands music kind of really took off was saying, oh, I'm going to record nature sounds and I'm going to mix synthesizers with that, throw in a little guitar here and there, and then maybe some native flute. And yeah. then... Uh, and then find other instruments so that I can kind of create and create, you know, different, a, a different sonic palette, you know, like as a sound designer mm -hmm. and, and, and as a composer and a sound producer, like wearing all three of those hats and, and kind of bringing it together. Let's talk about uh, the first track on that, which is actually entitled en Enchanted Lands. What was the in inspiration behind that track specifically? The story is that I was, I left Austin in 2012 to go uh, hang out at my family's house out in the country in Pilar and kind of take a break. And, uh, and my sister and her, and her partner were going to, to Wyoming and they needed like a house sitter. And so, you know, for the first time I was like ever out in like Taos County in the Rio Grande Gorge. And, it, you know, I packed up all this equipment in my car and it's like, I'm gone for the summer. And, you know, my whole life went into a storage shed in Austin and, you know, I really didn't have like a game plan other than like, I'm going to take a few months. And I wound up in this earthship house out in the middle of the country, like on, you know, oh. the, it used to be Indian land, where, right? you know, and then the Rio Grande Gorge and just all this amazing stuff. And so I just got this inspiration to start, you know, producing music. And then I, you know, I had my computer and all my software with me and uh, things just started flowing. It's just hard to say. I, I, I I was like in a vacuum away from the the modern world. Like we didn't have internet. We didn't have a cell phone up there. It, it was a house that they escaped from the world to go and take. And then half the house was under construction. So I stayed in like the part of the house that was kind of unfinished. And that was fine because the room I was in was, you know, like there was nothing wrong with that. It's just, I leave the room and there was like, you know, wood and construction tools and all kinds of stuff around. But I, I kind of like hibernated in this little room and was, would watch the Milky Way at night and uh, oh. feels like a, one of those dark sky locations because you're in the canyon and even the lights from Taos, you really can't even see. And I mean, I was watching the Milky Way and then, you know, like the first three or four tracks on that first album of Enchanted Lands was all like, wow, okay, this inspiration that I'm having watching this meteor shower is going to be a song. This inspiration, um, you know, I'm watching a full moon rise over the canyon is going to be a song. And then, like, just being in the land of enchantment kind of became a song. And I was, uh, I brought my acoustic guitar, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm not a jazz musician, but I love jazz. And I love, like, mm. I love, like, the fusion jazz of, of like, the, the 70s and 80s and 90s. And, like, you know, Pat Metheny group to me is kind of, like, the go-to for that type of stuff. I mean, some of their stuff's very, like, high concept jazz but some of it is like very almost kind of like soundscapey orchestral thrown in and so I started making this progression and it was like very jazzy kind of bluesy and I was like okay I want this to be in the song and then I had to write all the keyboard parts for it and produce that and then once I started getting into that other things you know started happening I mean when you when you start working on your art you know the little serendipities and, and the accidents happen where 
you didn't plan for this to happen or you weren't thinking about that, but the, the things kind of fell into place. And then I was discovering more of, of my uh, music software and the capabilities of that. And it's like, well, why don't I just do everything I want to do? Yeah. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not trying to sell this. It's about me having fun. And then when I, I started working on that one track, it was like, wow, you know, like this is like I'm recording my guitar and I'm mixing in all this stuff. It's like, this really feels good. It kind of, you know, you kind of get into a high in creativity when, when you're that focused and, and that um, expressive. And I didn't have a name for it. And I'm going like, well, land of enchantment, you know, I'm in New Mexico. And it was like, well, enchanted lands kind of like I could be anywhere and it could be enchanted lands, but there was definitely like a, like an energy that like a lot of that music that kind of felt kind of mysterious and kind of spirited and like other dimensional, otherworldly. So I'm like, I'm just going to go with enchanted lands. And so I decided like, okay, this is going to be the first song on this experimental, you know, uh, uh, volume of soundscapes it, it's kind of like if, if i was going to introduce my music to someone that that i've never met and has never heard of me that would be the song because it kind of like it, it carries everything in it
So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of that piece of music. And when I, when I finished that volume and brought it back to Austin, when I came back, people were kind of tripping on me. They're like, wow, how did you do this? Like, we didn't know you were kind of this kind of musician. I go like, I didn't either, you know? <laughs> well, that's what happens when you go to somewhere beautiful without outside influence and you've been holding on to that and you're just ready to go. Like the spirit just flowed through you. That's freaking beautiful. It's good. It's good for your soul to get out into nature and to yes. be creative that way. Yes. That, you know, that's why I produced, you know, six plus volumes of this music because I, I would go back to Austin and there'd be like another quarter of a million people moving there and the traffic mm. and blah, blah, blah. And I'd come out to New Mexico and like, you know, you hear the serenity song with all the birds and yeah. you know, it's kind of like, yeah, this, this is where I want to be spending this time in my life. Cause I'm kind of done with the high tech thing. And, you know, I left the gaming business and kind of said that, well, you know, yeah, it's going to be a challenge to make a living if I'm not doing computer animation, because I, I spent a good part of my life, you know, developing the skills in, in that business. But, uh, but to, you know, to work as a musician and kind of like take these retreats and do what makes me happy. And so if, if anything, all that Enchanted Lands music for me is like my therapy. It's like, okay, I'm going to do what makes me happy and I'm going to mm -hmm. be creative. And I'm going to treat it as professionally and as a high art as I can. Like, that's very nice. I really enjoyed it. And I did pick up on like the electronic stuff that you were doing in there. And like, the, like some of the samplings is like, here's some of the things you were doing. And I really enjoyed it. But this one I really liked, uh, Prayer Circle. I loved the drums on that. It was so cool. What's the story behind that one? Yeah, so I guess that, that was around 2017. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like things were kind of winding down in Pilar where I was living. Th it, things are going through changes and it, it was a very interesting kind of, um, I've been involved with this group in, in uh, Taos that ha would have a, a music jam and a potluck every Sunday. Oh, that's nice. And I would go play guitar and jam and, you know, get all kind of, you know, wild with that. And the, the people are beautiful. And it was, a lot of it was kind of improvisational. It was kind of like the band you know, kind of like folky, rocky, like not too sophisticated, but a lot of heart. Yeah. And, um, and I started really, you know, and I've been a spiritual person, you know, my whole life. So I was going to this place called the Hanuman temple. Uh, that was a, a Hindu, it's kind of like a, a hybrid Hindu temple. And, you know, and there's like Buddhist temples up in Taos County and, and then some friends in uh, Santa Fe that I drive down to visit where they had a kirtan. And they would sing and, and play music. And it was like, it was like their prayer. It was like their church. And so I came in and sat in with them. And I was like, you know, this is, this is beautiful. It's like, um, there's a, there's a certain heart that these people are, or a certain frequency of the heart that they're getting into with singing these kind of folky, you know, spiritual songs. And something just hit me. It was like, well, God, you know, this is, this is like the idea for music. Like mm. a, a prayer circle and I'm, and I'm going like okay so I wrote the lyrics and then at that at that music jam in Taos I had met this this young lady um who had a master's degree and was a, an opera trained singer oh wow and she just moved to Taos and uh, she was coming to that music jam and singing and her name's Janae and uh, and she's really lovely and I'm like yeah I'm, I'm now writing music for her voice I wrote 
three songs that would kind of be like the Enchanted Lands kind of hybrid into the the singing, you know. Yeah. I wrote the, wrote the songs, the lyrics. She came over and she's like, wow, these are great. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do a performance and, and you're going to sing with me. And so and so the, the lyrics to Prayer Circle, I didn't put them up on my website. Mm-hmm. And we weren't able to record the song because uh, a lot of things changed, as I was mentioning. But that song to me kind of has a very special kind of vibe to it because the other thing that I, I really like in the music and especially um, not just music I hear, but music I want to play is uh, like, and so that's prayer circle kind of has this, this feeling of soul and I didn't record the guitar. And then when I bought this native flute a couple years later, that was in the key of D that had a drone, like the flute fit perfectly with that song. And so now Good. that song has like three variations, how it can be performed with, guitar and with the singer or with the native flute and that song when I listen to it I just feel like I don't even know how I made it because you know I, I mean I just don't know where where I was but like having a muse like Janae you know come in and hang out with me and it's like yeah yeah I wrote the song for you to sing and she's like really and then the way that she sings it with the lyrics and it, it's it's sensual like that's the word I would use with the lyrics it's like when you hear the, the lyrics in the presentation it has like a, it's like very Sade, mm-hmm. like it has that sensuality to it. And it's kind of like, okay, that's, if, if anything, like where I'm stuck in my music is now I need to write having a singer and I'm, you know, I'm looking for one, but so, you know, so to answer your question, it's like the, the prayer circle definitely comes from like a different, it's like, it's an enchanted land soundscape with thinking of a singer in mind with these inspirations and, and that's the whole thing about my songwriting is that when I, when I get in that inspirational mode, it just happens and it happens how it's going to happen. You know, there's not a, I don't have an agenda.
And now my final and last question before Zoom says no bye-bye because it's right. going to do it on its own. Um, and I, I tell everybody, I ask everybody this question. If you were going to give advice to somebody who is thinking about following their passion and becoming a musician, what would you tell them? Well, I, I guess the, the starting point is that if, if they're already playing an instrument or that they need to you know, find an instrument that they can partner with uh because really like you know if if you're writing your music yourself and you're performing it yourself and you're playing an instrument the instruments that you choose are like your partners you know it, it's it's like a, it's almost like a love affair i know this kind of sounds you know cheesy and corny but no it doesn't you know i mean you know i got my guitar when i was 13 and then when i was um 16 i think i got my pride and joy my my silver anniversary stratocaster mm. and uh you know, that was my baby for, for like years and years and years. And the, the thing is like your instrument that you fall in love with is going to go on this journey with you. And to me, that is almost the most important thing is to cultivate that relationship, practice, um, experiment, perform, like, you know, get in front of people and play. I mean, the success stories of, you know, any rock or pop or any music that we've heard on the radio has to do with like people getting in, in front of people and playing and performing with their instrument and that really that that's what makes a professional musician to me it's not how well produced their song is is their ability to get in front of a group of people and perform and to share that you know that love with the instrument so i'd say if someone wants to be a musician like be the musician you know like you could go to music school and learn music theory that's great. I mean, you know, we all could, you know, use that. Yeah, we could all benefit. <laughs> you know, you could you could learn the piano. It's like I'm teaching myself, you know, piano all over again. Uh, that's important. But find find the instrument that that you 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 feel you have that simpatico with, and then also uh, and also write. You know, like write your musings down, whether they're just little whimsical, you know, whatever, whatever comes to your mind. If you're into poetry and you write that or if you're into verse, or if you're into like writing short stories, write those ideas down and then, and then get your guitar or your flute or your keyboard or your drums, whatever harmonica you're singing. And then kind of like do the Reese's peanut butter cup, you know, bring the chocolate and the peanut butter together, like have that explosion and, and see what happens. And the, the last thing I would say to anyone is don't let anyone get you down and tell you you can't do something. Like if- Oh like the yeah. The naysayers, the naysayers will kill out there, you. The, you know, like, like the naysayers out there, like just ditch those people, you know, like you need to surround yourself with people who are supportive and, you know, and no one ever sounds great the first time they do something and that's okay. It's an experiment. You know, we're learning, uh, you know, the first time a human being walks when we're babies, it's like we fall on our face and, until we get it right, you know? And so it's just, it's, it's really important to develop the confidence in what you're doing and to love it, like to just really feel like, well, I'm in love with what I'm doing and that's okay. Like no one could take that away from me, you know, like to be that kind of artist where you can be confident in what you're doing and do it to make yourself happy. And if you do that, you're going to make other people happy. It's, it's impossible for that to not happen. Well, th thank you for, thank you for having this time. I'll be interested to see how you edit it down. And like this. Oh.
All right, y'all. I want to thank you for listening to Sound Pollution this week. That was John Funk. Uh, don't forget to drop down into that description section and show him some love. And don't forget, I'll be releasing the, uh, last month's monthly music-only episode this evening, so stay tuned for that. Um, I did update the website a little bit, so go check that out. It's soundpollutionpodcast.com. If you're not a member of the patron, but you're able to be, that link is in the description section. Please don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, download, and share this episode. And that's it for this week. Remember to be love and make some noise. Bye.